Good morning. Good morning. Morning. This morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to go through verse 4, well, 4 through 6. Hebrews. Whole three verses. Oh my gosh, what do you think? I like the Bible. Uh, some good verses. verses. <clears throat> Let's pray first. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time to come together to worship you, to learn about you. Just ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would lead us and guide us through this study, that you would just watch over us. I thank you for all that you do each and every day. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. So, last week we went over Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and we learned about faith and what that is, right? It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is believing in what we can't see, right? Remember all that? So here we'll continue on in verse 4. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, It is by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Do you know the story of Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice? You do? Do you know that story? You do too? No. Well, just in case you don't, let's go back and read it. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So we have Cain and Abel who are sons of Adam and Eve, right? Last week we talked about creation. And we studied through the story of creation, how things came to be, that everything was spoken to existence. When he got to man, he created him with the dust. And when he got to woman, he created him from the rib of man. God took his time and formed them, right? And here we read that Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. So we'll read Genesis chapter 4, starting here in verse 1. So now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of the crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel 
and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So some interesting things here that we read is that Cain looks dejected or he's upset by this, right? His sacrifice wasn't accepted, but he just brought some of his crops. We read specifically that Abel brought the first, the best of his flock, right? I would say to you that God made it pretty clear to Cain and Abel what they were to bring to him, and that Abel chose to obey, and that Cain did not. We'll go through more of this here in a few minutes, but... But the Lord makes it very clear to Cain that you will be accepted, he says. So verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right. So Cain knew what the right thing to do was, what the sacrifice was that he was supposed to bring, but he chose not to. But God makes it very clear, I'll give you another chance. If you'll repent, right, turn around from the way he was living and do what is right, he would be accepted. His sacrifice would be accepted. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. So what is God saying from the very beginning? That sin wants to control us. That we have these sinful desires that will lead us and guide us to do the things that we're not to do. The things that lead us away from God. Usually the opposite of what God has asked us to do. But he makes it very clear. But you must subdue it and be its master. So you must be the master over sin, not the other way around. So we continue on in verse 8. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother where is Abel? So this is kind of like when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they ate the fruit and the Lord came looking and said, Adam, where are you? You think that God didn't know where Adam was or didn't know what happened? No, he same here. He asked Cain, where was Abel? Well, God knew where Abel was, right? Why is God asking Cain? He's trying to get him to confess what, he, what he's done, what has happened, right? So let's see what happens. So afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Is that true? No, he knows. Am I my brother's guardian? So now he's being a smart aleck. Probably not a good thing. You think that's a good thing to do? Be a smart aleck to God? You think it's a good thing to be a smart aleck to your parents? No, kind of the same thing. But the Lord said... What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. 
no longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. So Abel's blood cried out to God, right? And we've learned in other studies that the life is in the blood, right? So there's significance to that. So verse 13, Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So I have a note in my Bible that that mark that he put on him was the mark of grace, right? Because what did Cain deserve? Cain deserved to die, right? For murdering Abel. But I would say to you that God showed him grace. So for more on this, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. More on Abel and Cain. So first John chapter three, starting in verse eleven. We get a little more insight onto what has happened or how this took place. Because I don't think it was that God didn't explain to Cain and Abel what the what the sacrifice was to be. So first John chapter three, verse eleven. I think God explained it to him. I think God made it clear to him. I think it's a reflection of the lives that they were both living. It wasn't just a moment in time, but it was over a period of time that they've lived the lives that they were living. One chose to live a righteous life with God, and one chose to live a life separate from God. Right? Which I find interesting that Cain was upset that he was banished from the Lord's presence, or had to leave the Lord's presence, because up until that point, he had wanted to live a life separate from the Lord. So, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. 
So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So we read there that Cain had been doing what was evil. It wasn't just a moment in time. He just chose the wrong sacrifice. No, he'd been living a life that led him away from God. And that Abel had been doing what was right, had been walking in close fellowship with God. Probably why Abel is mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11 for being a faithful person, right? Be known for his faith. There's other places in the Bible that talk about Abel as being a martyr for his faith. And so other places that talk about him being a prophet. So Abel is known in many places throughout the Bible for being a faithful person to God, while Cain is not, right? And it makes it clear here that as a Christian, we're to love one another. That means we forgive others regularly, right? That we love one another, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. We're not to hold grudges or be hateful towards them like Cain was hateful towards Abel. Because what does that do? That produces evil in your heart. It separates you from God. Yes, all of that. Right? So we're to love one another. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And who said that? Jesus. So if he said it, you can probably believe it. So, uh, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. Before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Do you know the story of Enoch? No? Should we go back and read that one? I think we should. Do you know the story of Enoch? I don't I would be shocked if you know the story of Enoch. So let's go back back to Genesis chapter four. Right where we were. Genesis chapter four, verse seventeen. So we left off in verse 16 with Cain leaving. Okay. So Genesis chapter 4, starting here in verse 17. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irad. <clears throat> Irad became the father of Meju. Mejul became the father of Methuselah. Methuselah became the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first was named Adid. The second was Zillah. Ada gave birth 
to Jabal, who was the first who raised livestock in live <clears throat> and lived in tents. His brother named Jubal was the first to play the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named Tubal Cain. He became an expert in forging tools, bronze, iron. Tubal Cain had a sister named Nama. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me is punished 77 times. So do you think that's the Enoch that we're talking about? Don't be confused. We'll keep reading and let you decide. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Then when Seth grew up, he had a son named Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. This is a written account of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him, in his very image. He named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years, and he had, uh, he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, then he died. So a few things here. One is that Seth was not Adam's only son, right? So when we're reading through these genealogies, that this isn't the only son. We know that Adam had Cain and Abel as sons as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, but here we read about Seth. And then we also read that Adam lived to be 930 years old, right? So, but this chapter 11 of Hebrews is talking about faith. So, when God says that he did something or that someone lived this long... I believe it because God said. Seems pretty simple to me. So if God said that he lived 930 years, and I believe that he actually lived 930 years. There's no alternate explanation, no... Well, there is no misunderstanding of that. Now, when we've... At some point, I'm sure we'll study through Genesis... And I would say to you, I kind of believe that the earth isn't what we see today. That there was a canopy over the earth, kind of like a, almost like a cloud canopy. And the sun wasn't really directly hitting on people. You know, if you leave something out in the sun, it deteriorates pretty quickly. But if you keep it inside, it doesn't. That kind of thing. Plus some other things, like genetics were pretty pure back then. And God just allowed them to live longer. So, we'll continue on. When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. 
After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Seth lived 912 years, then he died. When Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Canaan. After the birth of Canaan, Enosh lived another 815 years. He had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived 905 years, then he died. When Canaan was 70, he became the father of Michael. After the birth of Michael, Canaan lived another 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Canaan lived 910 years, then he died. When Michael was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared. After the birth of Jared, Michael lived 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Michael lived 895 years, then he died. When Jared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enosh. After the birth of Enosh, Jared lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Jared lived 962 years, then he died. So this Enosh is from Seth, not the Enoch, or this Enoch is from Seth's line, not the Enoch from Cain's line. Does that make sense? Now that we read through the genealogies, because we read Adam, Seth, and then all these people, and we get to Enoch, but there was another person named Enoch that was the son of Cain, two different people. Make sense? Okay. So verse 21, when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. So he just disappeared. He didn't die. God just took him. What do you think of that? But it's pretty interesting that when we started this, we start reading about that when Seth started having children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, that that's when we read about people first began to worship the Lord by name. And that this man, Enoch who comes from the Seth's line, is known for walking in close fellowship with God. Then if we were to, to keep reading, well, we might as well. We only got a few more verses. We'll read kind of the rest of the line to get to Noah. So, when Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. After the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another... 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived 969 years, then he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. Lamech named his son Noah. For he said, May he bring us relief from our work and painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord is cursed. After the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years. He had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 777 years, then he died. By the time 
Noah was 500 years old. He was the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So, from Seth's line, we get all the way down, and we read about Noah. So Noah came from Seth's line, which I think, well, you've always been interested in the genealogies. I think it's very interesting. I think the other thing that's interesting here is that when it goes through like this and explains to you this person and then the father lived so many years, you can start to put a timeline together as to how old the earth was, right? Because you have a, a timeline from Adam, the very first person, to Noah, the flood. So you can start to put a timeline together. So a lot of people will tell you, um, a lot of Bible scholars will tell you that the earth is roughly about 6,000 years old. And a lot of that they get from this section of the Bible right here. So, while people think the earth is millions and billions and very old, I would say to you it's probably not. It's probably pretty young. 6,000 years isn't that long, right? So, but that's a study for another time. Let's go to Jude there's only one chapter in Jude. So, the book of Jude. Jude is the book right before Revelation and right after 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And there's only one chapter. So Jude chapter 1, starting in verse 14. So Jude, the book of Jude, he's warning about false teachers and people that will lead believers astray. Um, So he's warning about that. But he does mention Enoch. So Jude, chapter 1, starting here in verse 14. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen. The Lord is coming with countless thousands of holy ones to execute judgment on the people of this world. He will convict every person of the ungodly things they have done for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are complainers, grumblers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and flatter others to get what they want. So here we get to read a little more more about Enoch, that he was prophesying that the Lord is coming, right, to judge. So he's prophesying not about the Messiah coming to save, but about Jesus' second coming. And that he's warning people to change the way they live. Why did God flood the earth with Noah? Because the earth had gotten so wicked that there were no one was righteous. No one was walking with God in all the earth. And so, but we read that Enoch, during this time, is speaking out and trying to get people to repent, to open their eyes to who God was. And that God sees that as faithful, right? He's the only one mentioned back then that was walking in close fellowship with God. That's pretty important. Let's go to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 38.
So the other thing that's important about Enoch and this family line, so in Matthew, they give the genealogy, but Matthew gives the genealogy of Joseph, right? Luke, here, he gives the genealogy of Mary, and that's the direct line that Jesus comes from, right? So, Luke, if we kind of start in 38, and we'll go backwards. And I won't read it all to you. We'll just read the order of the people. Yep. So, kind of the bottom where, it, in verse 38, it says, Adam was the son of God, right? But then if I go backwards, I read that Adam had the son Seth. Seth had Enosh. Enosh had Kenan. Then Michael. Jared, then Enoch, right, was born. Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Apex, Canaan, Shelah, Eber, Pegleg, Ru, Sheru, Nor, Terah, Abraham. These should be some familiar names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Irni, Admin, Amdimadad, Nashon, Solomon, Boaz. These should be some familiar names. Boaz married Ruth, right? The Moabite. All this is how Jesus came into the earth. So Boaz made Ruth, married Ruth the Moabite. So through them... They had a son named Obed. So God brought his chosen, his one and only son, the chosen Messiah, into the earth, not just through pure Israelite bloodlines, which I always thought was interesting. So anyways, Obed, then Jesse, then David, right? So this is where it splits. So up until this point, Mary's genealogy and Joseph's genealogy is the same. But Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, or father here on earth, his line goes through Solomon, David then Solomon. But here we read that David, and then it was Nathan. So David had another son, Nathan, again through Bathsheba. So God took something that was meant for evil and turned it into good. He brought his son into the world through the marriage of David and Bathsheba, and not through Solomon, through Nathan. And Nathan, Matha, Mena, Melina, Elkim, Joam, Joseph, Judah, Simon, Levi, Matta, Joram, Elzier, Joshua, Ur, Elmadid, Kosum, Adi, Melki, Neri, Shertil, Zerubbabel, Heresha, Jonan, Joda, Joshek, Simeon, Matthias, Moth, Nagi, Esli, Naum, Amos, Matthias, Joseph, Jenei, Melchiai, Levi, Mathat, Heli, and then it should be Mary and Jesus. Heli was Mary's dad. Is that pretty interesting? So that's the that's the line.
So not only was Enoch known for walking in close fellowship with God, he's also the bloodline or the family tree that God brought his son into the world through. So this genealogy here in Luke, which we read backwards, um, is the genealogy of Mary. So pretty interesting. And that Mary's genealogy and Joseph's genealogy is the exact same. So whether no matter how anyone looked at it, because for the Jews, the genealogy is very important, both through the bloodline of David, but then after David, it splits. Joseph's bloodline is through Solomon. Mary's bloodline is through Nathan. So, I just thought that was interesting. I figured you would like that. You like the genealogies. Mm-hmm. So, let's go. There's another place that the Bible talks about not dying. Because this idea of not dying sounds pretty good to me. Because I'm not afraid of dying, but the process of dying sometimes may not be all that fun. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The reason we're all on this track is Enoch was known for walking with God, but didn't die. God just took it, right? So there's another place, well there's a few places that the Bible talks about that, but probably most notably is this here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. So we tell you this directly from the Lord. We are still living. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will be raised from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So while we read about Enoch, God taking Enoch, we also read that Jesus... When he comes back again, if you're still alive, you'll be caught up in the air with him. You won't die. Which I like that idea. I'm ready for that. So, But like Enoch, it's notable that he was walking in close fellowship with God all those years. Speaks to me that we should live a life the same. Walking in close fellowship with God because you never know when he's coming back. Right? And you don't want to be ashamed of what you're doing or what you're caught up in when he does come back. While you may not lose your salvation, you don't want to be ashamed when he comes and sees what you're doing. He already knows what you're doing. So living that life in close fellowship with God is important. We read about that example of Enoch and that the Lord took him, came and grabbed him without dying. And that Jesus is coming back again. And when he comes back again, those of us who are still alive here on this earth will be caught up in the clouds with him. And we'll live with him forever. There would be no death for those during what we know is the rapture. Make sense? Sound exciting? Let's finish up our study. So Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6.
So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We read about Enoch for being known as his faith, being taken up without dying. But then in verse 6, it says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So it's impossible to please God without faith. We've been over that. You must believe that he exists. And I would say to you that it takes faith to believe what we just read, right? That these men lived to be 900 years old or 700 years old, right? Because that doesn't maybe sound logical to us. But God doesn't always do what's logical to us. God does whatever he sees fit, whatever is best for him, and that by faith we can choose to believe that or not. And I personally choose to believe that, yes, when he says those people live to be that old, that however he did it, they live to be that old. Why? Because you can take God at his word, right? Mm -hmm. We believe in his word. I always find it interesting that Jesus is known as the word of God. There in John chapter 1, that Jesus is the one that created everything. Everything was created through him. And how did he create everything? Through his word. He spoke it into existence. So we can believe him at his word. And with that, that's where we end our study today. Any questions? None? You don't have any questions? What about you? Okay. Any thoughts, comments, prayers, prayer requests? Okay, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this study. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about who you are, your will, your way, and just how you speak to us. I ask that you would give each one of us a measure of faith, the portion that you have for us, that you would strengthen us, encourage us, strengthen our faith in you, strengthen um, just our relationship with you. Watch over us, strengthen our marriages, strengthen our families, that you would draw us all closer to you, bring us closer to each other. Help us to love our Christian brothers and sisters and help us to love those in this world who aren't. Help us to be a light and a witness to everyone around us. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.